Amen. Let it snow. You may be seated. Good morning. Thank you. Well, we are in this Acts series, in the book of Acts, and if you have not been on this journey with us, you know what? If you download that app at your fingertips, you have access to our sermons anytime you want. You can listen to, the, to preaching all day long if you want. I mean, I don't even know. My wife listens to my sermons all day. It's a beautiful thing because I make her. So we are in this series. And in last week, I just need to give you a quick review so we know where we are. Last week, Peter and John... Remember, Jesus has left the building. He went back into heaven, and the Holy Spirit came. And last week, Peter and John are walking around, and they see a man that was born lame. He, his legs would not work, and now he's like 40 years old, and they, they declare healing on him. He's healed, and he starts jumping around, and this gathers a crowd because everybody knows the man. Can you imagine this? Everyone in town knows that this man has been crippled his whole life, and now he's walking. And so the crowd gathers, and Peter uses this opportunity to preach about Jesus. And that's a great time to give a sermon. When Jesus heals somebody, and they're jumping next to you, then you get a chance to speak about Jesus that is just like none other. He begins to preach, and he preaches in power, and that's when Acts 4 steps in. Now, I know this is going to be hard for you to believe, but the movement of Jesus is taken off, but someone's trying to stop it, and here in Acts 4, we see it's the, it's the religious elite they try to stop this because they have their thing going on over here and we want to control it. And so they, they hear uh, Peter and John preaching about Jesus and they arrest them immediately. And they throw them in jail and they're in jail all night. Now the next day, Peter and John come before this Sanhedrin council, the religious elite. It even says their names in there. And these are the same men involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. So Peter and John are before him, and the council asked Peter in verse 7, by what power or what name did you do this? Someone was just healed. What power and what name did you do this? Then Peter, what does it say? Filled by the, filled by the, come on, 10 a.m. <laughs> then Jesus, then Peter, <laughs> filled by the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, shown to a man who was lame, and are being asked how he was healed. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified and who God raised from the dead. It's in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this man stands before you healed. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind which we must be saved. Peter here shows amazing boldness. And I'm going to talk to you about why. He's in front of the most, the most powerful religious council there is, and he's speaking without concern of what they can do to him. Now, we need to remember who this council is, because this is important. Because another preacher, just over a month ago, stood before this very council. And that was Jesus. Jesus stood before the Sanhedrin, these same leaders. And what happened when he stood in front of them? They interrogated him. They mocked him. They spit on him. They beat him. And they handed him over to be crucified. And Peter, do you remember what Peter was doing during that interrogation and beating? Remember in Luke? It was a while ago. Remember he followed, he followed in the background. He, he got into the place where they were interrogating him. He could see what was going on over there. He was around a fire, it says, but he was so terrified of what was going on over there and that he would be caught. It says a young servant girl 
asked him if he knew Jesus, and he swore and cursed and denied it. A middle school girl caused this disciple to deny his Savior. He was so scared. And Peter denied Jesus three times that night because of that very same counsel. But now, he was, afraid to be, he was afraid to be near them then, but now he stands before them and he preaches boldly. What's different now than, than then in Peter's life? Same counsel, still Peter. What's different? Well, in verse 8 it says this, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that changes everything. You see, before, the first time, Jesus had not died. Jesus had not risen again. He had not gone to heaven and he had not said, wait upon the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit came. And when the Holy Spirit came, he came in power, and he gave them boldness. And the Holy Spirit changes everything. While Peter previously was skulking around outside the council, trying to see what was going on back there, now he's before them. And filled with the Holy Spirit, he speaks boldly in a way he has not spoken in front of them before. This fulfills the prophecy that Jesus actually spoke to his disciples in Matthew 10. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10, verse 17, he says, Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. When he told them that, they had no clue. Peter, they we're going to be handed over and beaten and flogged. Sign me up. I don't know what that, like, what are you talking about? But here he is standing before the council. He was arrested, and God the Father is speaking through him by his spirit. Two things we notice in Peter's words. First, we see the emboldening and empowering of the, Holden, of the Holy Spirit. Changes him. And second, we see Peter gives all the credit and all the glory to Jesus. And this is how a movement advances. You have disciples here who are willing to risk. They're fueled by the Holy Spirit, and they keep the main thing the main thing. That's Jesus. And Orchard, that's how this movement moves forward too. As we as the church decide to take risks, we're fueled by the Holy Spirit, and we keep Jesus Christ the main thing above all others. Amen? Last week we talked about when you're out about your life and you see somebody in need or, or see somebody, you ask God, God, what do you want for that person? What would you have me do? Remember this? God, what would you have me do? In any situation, and to have your yes ready, whatever he would ask. But we're so funny. I've seen this very often. I've actually talked to friends about this. You know, as humans, we are afraid that if, if we get to this point where I will say yes to anything Jesus asks. I've heard somebody tell me this. I'm afraid to tell Jesus I'll do whatever you ask because he'll send me to, like, to Africa to live in like a grass hut, and I don't even like camping. Amen? <laughs> But let's slow down for one minute. Because most often, God will ask of us to risk just the next step in faith. The next step in faith. Example, you're deathly afraid he's going to pack you up and move you off to a foreign country. But what he may ask of you instead is that person you know that is hurting, deeply hurting inside, that you ask, can I pray for you? Which would you rather? Take your pick. <laughs> Africa Africa sounds a lot easier. I don't have to talk to anybody. <laughs> Isn't that so funny? We're afraid he's going to move us off to who knows where. He's going to ask us to go to Target and heal people in the Denimile. But instead, he, <laughs> instead, he might ask you to forgive your ex and stop gossiping about them. 
Jesus, he, he might ask you to just to begin to speak of your faith. So it's the next step. Aaron Ernst says this, extraordinary moves of God start with ordinary acts of obedience. Extraordinary moves of God start with ordinary acts of obedience. And perhaps what God wants of us is to be willing to say yes to the next step of faith. Not the most epic one you're most afraid of yet, but just what's the step today, now, in this place. And through these small steps of obedience, God does great things. And this happened just last week. There was a couple in here who listened to the sermon and they were discussing it and, and about what God would have of them and have their yes ready. And they, they went on a trip and so they're driving and they stop at a fast food place and he goes inside and, and she's in the car and she sees a young man at a bus stop and with the, the message in her mind, she just says, God, what would you have me do for him? She did it. She asked the question, and she said, I felt God say, go over there and tell him God loves him and give him, give him a little bit of money. So her husband got in, and she goes, I just did something while you were in there. <laughs> I, he, he, she goes, I think God wants us to go over there and talk to him. He goes, okay, let's do it. So they drive over, gives him a few bucks, say, they're gonna, say we, Jesus loves you, and then uh, they, they drive off. Well, as they're driving down the ramp, they begin to ask, should we have done more? God, should we do more? They didn't know what. But he, he got the sense, yes, they turn around, get on the other exit, go back. They speed back over there. He's still at the bus stop, and they pull up. And when they go back there, this guy now is like, he's shocked. You're back. <laughs> he's not homeless. He's not like out there begging. He's up, there's no sign, no pain. He's just, he's, okay, what now? And so they say, they don't know what now. They're just simply doing the next step. And when they get there, God begins, to, they just ask him, like, we feel God just came back to tell you, um, to, to talk to you more. And he automatically is struck because you, 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 you know why. They begin to ask him questions. He begins to speak about his life. And long story short, the man tells them um, that he has lived the life his parents would not be proud of. And because of that, he's been too ashamed to call them, talk to them, email them in many years. He now finds himself going through cancer treatment. States away from his parents and they don't even know if he's alive. He's ashamed. He's lonely. He misses his mom and dad, but the shame keeps him from doing anything. And this couple, who just is acting in the next step of obedience, they have a, a son his age, an adult son his age, and they say, your parents want to know you're okay. And, and the man says, listen, no matter uh, your mom and your dad, to them, you are still their son. And the man was crying, and he hugged him. And he said, I'm going to get my bus where I'm going, go back to my apartment, and I'm going to call my dad. I'm going to tell him what I've been doing. I'm going to tell him what's going on and ask his forgiveness. You see, God loves that young man. God has seen his pain, and God has seen his loneliness, and God knows what that young man needs. And God asked this orchard couple to speak on his behalf. And they didn't take monumental steps. They just took the next step at a time when they felt God ask. They had their yes ready. And let me just tell you something. That small act of obedience could change a life, could change a future, and it changed a family. Our small acts of obedience can spark a movement. And to help me with this today is my friend Jesse. Could Jesse come on up? Jesse Terrell. <laughs> 
All right, buddy, you ready? I'm ready. Uh, Jesse <clears throat> has been saying yes to God. Um, let's start with last Sunday. Let's start with Saturday, last Saturday. Tell him what yep. happened. So Saturday, um, I get a call from Garfield County. To lead up to that, I've been studying for several months to get uh, certified as a foster parent and decided a long time ago that that's the, kind of the route that, that I was going to go now that my kids are out of my house and stuff. Um, Saturday, I get a call from Garfield County and, hey, we've got this kid. He's 17. He doesn't speak English and we need you to help him out. Unfortunately, there's a little... Uh, hitch in my whole plan of foster care and that's my landlord won't let me have anybody else in my house except for me so i said sorry can't help you i gotta wait till housing has um you know developed and situated whatever so sunday come in and and hear daniel and and charlie talking about saying yes to god and you know i'm thinking yeah i'm gonna go heal a paraplegic you know, at Target, like you said, in the denim aisle, right? Well, of course, that doesn't happen. Um, so Sunday, I said, okay, God, I'm going to say yes to, to you. I wasn't really thinking about the phone call I'd received on Saturday. I get home on Sunday and sit down on my couch, and literally, I hadn't even been sat down for, for a minute when I get the call, and I know it's Garfield County, and I'm like, oh, God, I have to say yes, oh, what does this mean? What does it look like? So they, they said, hey, we know you can't have anybody in your house, um, but here's a suggestion. This is a great, great idea. We'll have you guys stay at the Days Inn. And I'm like, yay. <laughs> um, sounds. So they want you to move out of your house. They want me to move the days in, out of my house because, Foster, because he can't be in your house. He can't be in my now house. Tell us your little history of days in. Well, <laughs> so, so two years ago, I lived at the days in for nine months going through a divorce. And I was like, oh. And that was a great time for you, right? You really loved I, I mean, the memories just, oh, <laughs> you know. You called it the days out. Just yeah, out of here. Like the sun's not shining on no room in, you know, in there for me. But I, I had this, just this conviction of like, okay, um, God, you said say yes. So I said yes. I'll, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do this. I'm, I'm getting the you know, certification. I'm not even certified yet when they're calling me. And ends up, that streamlined the certification. They called me Wednesday, said, hey, you're certified now. But by Sunday night at 11 p.m., I'm in the days in talking to this kid through Google Translate. Um, he asked me questions on his phone and it translates. I ask him questions on my phone and it translates. And, um, and just to give some, on this, this kid, um, his parents have abandoned him. They've left the country. He is, he is here alone. He has no family. He has no one here. Um, he has he, Jesse and he doesn't speak Jesse's language, but he has somebody there for him. And also, he finds out that he's, they're trying to ship, they're trying to ship, they're trying to, to, to send him to Denver. <laughs> ship him out. Um, to, to a family there, or, or to a system over there. They're yeah. trying to get him to Denver, and he doesn't, wa- he doesn't want to go. He doesn't know anybody there. So, so Wednesday fine. night, Wednesday evening, um, Garfield County says, hey, to this guy, um, we're moving you down to Denver. Well, he's got a job here. 
you know, he's been here for about a year and a half um, since his parents left, so he's going to school, and, and it, you know, he's yeah. established in the community, and they're saying, we're going to move you to Denver, and good luck. Well, we brought him to, um, I brought him to youth group on Wednesday night, and the core of our, our youth is like Hispanic kids that, you know, are fluent, obviously, and so they, they end up talking to him a little bit and praying for him, not really knowing what his situation was. And Friday night, right as I was walking into the one service, um, I got a text saying, hey, we found a place for him to live that, you know, they speak his language, we're certifying the home, he'll be able to move in Saturday. Here. Here, in yes. carbon, in basalt. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, amen. <laughs> and so the God's just getting started. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> well, to, to close off with him, the last thing he, he said to me um, on Saturday morning, I took him over to the Red Rock Diner um, for, for breakfast before we moved him in, and, and he, he gets out his phone and types it in, and he says, I can go to church on Wednesdays? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> so I there's that one thing. Well, I'm sharing this with our growth group, and um, Melissa's a part of that. She goes, oh my gosh, this thing that you're doing um, with foster care, um, over the last several months, as I've been training for this, I felt like God's saying to me, you're going to run a teen home for, you know, six to eight kids, and I'm thinking, yeah, right, there's no way I'm living in the basement of this house and not allowed to have anybody there. Um, but this, this vision and this passion that, that's just being birthed in me and stirred and like, um, and I'm talking to, to people about it. And Melissa goes, hey, I know the, some people over at Habitat for Humanity. So she talks to them and they bypass all interview process and send me an application. So, okay, there's one step. <laughs> then... Steve Ayers, who is part of my growth group, um, him, him and his wife host it for us. He says, well, you said yes. You said yes to God. Here's my yes. We're going to go this week and we're going we're gonna to start a 501c3 nonprofit organization so that people can donate to this cause and, and start really gearing up, you know, and, and helping this vision out. And, um, so that happened. Uh, starting yesterday, he texted me last night and goes, it's, it's in place. And he said, all you got to do is come up with a name. So I'm praying, and I said, okay, God. Daniel Self Ministries? <laughs> <laughs> JT the Brick. <laughs> LLC. Um, I prayed, and I said, okay, God, we, we just, what's this going to be? And, and, and I just felt like we're going to call this thing Awaken. And, and that's like something woke up inside of me over the last couple of years that's, that there's this huge need. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a need that I can fill because I'm by myself and, you know, I've, I've raised kids. I've, I've done foster care in the past and that was quickly squelched. Um, so, like, God's doing, God's doing a work. So, thank you. Uh, as I was praying about this, 
I got this verse, and, and I believe that it ties in with not just what, what I'm doing and what, what I feel like God is calling me to do right now, but as a, as a broader whole, the church and this talk of, of, of movement and growth and um, the Holy Spirit is, is doing something. Um, it's about God expanding your home. This is <laughs> about God expanding my home for sure and, and, and um, yeah. you know, bringing in people to really to, to help them and equip them for life. Mm-hmm. You, you know, this isn't about Jesse getting a pat on the shoulder. This would be about, you know, helping equip people like what right. Daniel and, and Charlie do and the other leaders of the church. They're, they're here to help equip people for life. Isaiah 54, um, one, in, 1, 2, and 3. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations. And I just felt like God God is doing something, and, and Awaken is just like this small piece of what God's doing as a whole to build his kingdom through the orchard. Thank you, Jesse. Awesome, Jesse. Jesse was very wrong about one thing. He said it's a small piece of what God is doing. Jesse, it's a huge piece. It's your piece. I I just want to say something real quick. For us to think about, um, if, if you got a call this afternoon that just said, Hey, can we go move into Days Inn and, and host a 17-year-old foster kid? What would you do? I would say no. Jesse, what would you have said a year ago? No. <laughs> say no. But see, here's what happened. Nine months ago, Jesse started saying yes to the next step. N- not the, inst- the, the next step. And he said yes to the next step. He said yes to the next step. And as God has led him and began to awaken him more and more, it led to the next step and the next step. And to the point where when he's on his couch on Sunday trying to figure out his next yes and the phone rings, that next yes, although it's still huge, wasn't as big as it would have been a year ago. He has said yes to the next step and he has risked that next step in faith, what God has for him. And now there's the possibility of of a house and, and and a ministry and God is awakening in him and in our community because there are, there are kids in this place that need people to love on them. And, th- and that, that, that guy, that kid for just a week experienced um, God's love through Jesse. And so uh, that's awesome. That is an example of your yes, having your yes ready and taking the next step of faith. Again, he's been taking these steps over the course of a year, not just this one big step. And so back to Acts 4 as we step into this, and what does it look like? It says, Peter, full of the Spirit, He has just said, the healing happened. Remember that? The healing happened, and it was because of Jesus. He says all that. And then the Sanhedrin, they saw the courage of Peter, in verse 13, and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. They saw the courage and boldness, but they knew they had not been to seminary. Peter's a regular guy. Regular except for one thing. He'd been in the presence of Jesus. In Orchard, it is time to stop using our lack of degrees in seminary as excuses to remain silent and timid. Because it seems pretty apparent here, the greatest education you can receive for your faith is to be in the presence of the Savior. 
which is why our personal study with God is so important. Not just coming to church and not just our growth group, but getting to know him and his nature in his word, the revelation of who he is, beginning to know him, praying and worshiping, getting to know him and be in his presence so that as he begins to change you in his presence and as the word of God begins to marinate your heart and soak into your character and he calls you and you begin to change, people will see a difference in you as you are more bold in your love, more gracious in your forgiving, you're more compassionate, more, more all of these things, more generous in all that you know as you go through life to all people and they'll say, what is that? And you have the opportunity to say, well, I didn't go to seminary, but it's because of God. I would I'd probably leave the seminary part out. But you can say, I, it's, it, God has changed me. God has changed me. That's what they saw in Peter's life. He's an ordinary man who'd been with Jesus, and something's different. Do people around you know that you believe in Jesus? Can they see it? And have you told them? The religious council then orders Peter and John to cease preaching in the name of Jesus. And they refuse. They're like, we're sorry. In fact, his words are, should we listen to you or listen to what we've seen and heard? Should we cave to the social pressure or should we continue on with our Savior? And so, unable to find anything to nail Peter and John on, they release them with the many threats to stop preaching and stop healing and stop using Jesus' name. And on verse, in verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported to the chief priests and elders had said to them, they go back to their group, their growth group, their church. They go back and say, this is what's happening in our life. And they tell them about all the threats. Stop healing, stop preaching. They tell them about the threats of what could happen. There could be arrests and jail. And look what they did to Jesus just over a month ago. We're facing these things. When the church heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. They heard these threats and they started, they, they started to pray. Now this is an amazing thing because... When you're in this situation, when someone threatens you or your family, how do you pray? God, God save me. We pray for relief. You see, because it wasn't just Peter and John and, and getting threatened here. The men, the fathers, the women, the children. Listen, everybody needs to stop. And so we pray for relief, right? That's what we do. The church of Acts 4 is under threats of arrest and shut down. Jesus, save us. Have the threat stop. Give us relief. And they would have prayed that except for these people were people of the movement of Jesus. They did not pray for relief. Do you know what they wanted more than anything? Do you know what they desired more than they just wanted the threats of the, the men to cease? They wanted the movement to grow. They wanted fresh stories of faith. They wanted new salvations of people around them, new baptisms. They wanted, they wanted to see the redemptive movement of Jesus grow in their community. So what did they pray? Verse 29, now, Lord, consider the threats by the council and enable us, your servants, to speak your word with boldness. They didn't pray for relief. They prayed for boldness. And we pray, God, take it away. And they're like, God, give us what we need in it. They continue, stretch out your hand, Jesus, to heal and perform signs and wonders in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Don't give us relief, give us boldness. You see, in their lives, on the scale, redemption weighed much more than reputation. In their lives, salvations and baptisms were more glorious than safety and belonging to the world. You see, they knew that in the end, their reputation and their very lives would pass. But the work of Jesus through them and in the people around them would be eternal. 
and they were willing to take that trade. Don't just give us relief. Don't give us relief. Give us boldness. After this prayer, the room was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. They, pre- they prayed for boldness, and God resourced them with it. They had their yes ready. They were stepping out in faith, whatever it may be, big or small, quiet or loud. They wanted to be bold in it. So that's what they prayed for, for boldness. And Orchard, this is something we should be praying for daily. In fact, this is something I pray daily, but also moment by moment. We see in Acts, we see this pattern happening. In Acts 1, uh, Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit. He's coming. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes and baptizes them one time in the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. But then we see over and over and over this term, filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, preach boldly. Filled with the Holy Spirit, they prayed and they, they preached boldly. Over and over and over, as situations arise, the church here is filled with the Holy Spirit when it has needs for wisdom, for greater love, for power, for self-control, for boldness, and for us. You see, the Bible's clear. When we come to faith in Jesus, the Spirit indwells us, lives in us as a seal, as as, as, as a seal on the salvation. The Holy Spirit is within us. But the Holy Spirit wants to fill us. When we lack resources, um, I have, like when, I, when, I lack, when I need wisdom in my life, when I'm facing a situation and I need wisdom and I realize I lack it, Holy Spirit, fill me. Give me wisdom. When I'm into a, headed into a tough situation, one that I don't really know how to solve or what to do, Holy Spirit, give, fill me. Give me peace. Give me knowledge. Help me. I'm about to take a risk. God's asked me to take a risk, and I'm afraid, and I pray, Holy Spirit, fill me. Give me boldness. I think we should add this prayer, Holy Spirit, fill me to our daily life. Add this. Add the prayer for boldness. And I just want to clarify something because the Holy Spirit wants to give you boldness, but not just boldness to say yes to the next step, but boldness to say no to what you said, say what you should say no to. Holy Spirit, give me boldness to say yes. Holy Spirit, resource me to say no to temptation, to things like that. We have a resource. God promises in his word a resource called the Holy Spirit. And we see this pattern of them being filled. David prayed in Psalm 183, I called and you answered me. You made me bold and strong in my very soul. If you lack wisdom, if you lack joy, if you need self-control, if you need boldness, if you need help, Holy Spirit, fill me. Boldness fueled by God's spirit is life-changing. Now, I've noticed something when it comes to praying for God to give us boldness. When we pray that, I've noticed that oftentimes, and we're all guilty of it, when we pray for God to give us boldness in a situation, we're actually asking that he makes the risk easier. Like, oh, it's so scary. Holy Spirit, give me boldness. Just make it, make me not afraid. If he could just make me so bold I'm not afraid, that would be great. You see, we desire God to give us boldness so the risk is easy. But do you know what God gives us when we ask for boldness? Most often, he gives us an opportunity. We pray for boldness, and he gives us an opportunity. And do you know when the boldness comes? The boldness engages when you step in out of faith. We want the fear to be gone from risk. God wants us to step into risk, and he will give us boldness. He, will, he may never take the fear of praying for someone else from you. He might never take that fear from you. 
But as you step out and begin taking risks, he will meet you there with boldness so you can pray for those people. If you're waiting to God, for God to take the fear out of risk, well, let, let's just be honest. A lot of us are waiting for him to take the fear out of risk so we can get baptized or go talk to somebody or pray for somebody out loud or pray out loud in period. We're waiting for God to take the fear out of those risks so we can finally do them. Do you know what happens when we wait for that? We get a Christianity that values safe over faith. Christians who stick in their chairs on Sundays, afraid to take risks even in this place, let alone take their faith outside the church walls. Authenticity in relationships will be shallow because vulnerability takes risk. Baptism clothes will remain as dry as the passion for God within us. Mouths will remain shut when it comes to sharing our faith. Actions will begin to conform to the social pressure of the world. And in the end, if we wait for God to remove the fear from risk, the church won't look much different like the world around it. And may that not be true of us here at the orchard. I don't believe God has put us here and called us here to love God and love people in such a way that we don't stand out in our love. The Bible says, Jesus says, they will know us by our love. And love takes risk and boldness. So what does it look like to be bold? You have your yes ready. Like Jesse, sitting there on Sunday, sitting on his couch, he had his yes ready. He didn't know what? For the next step. Have your yes ready for the next opportunity, the next one step of faith. You see, we want, we're waiting for risk to be easy, so it leads to a simple life without risk. But did you know a spiritual life without risk requires zero faith? And, and I come into contact with people all the time who say, I just want more faith. You know what you do? Take a risk. Take a risk. If you're waiting for faith to just hit you so you can take whatever, take a risk. Take a risk. Step out in faith. So what now? For some of you in this place, God has very clearly already given you a next step of faith. He might have given it to you just today. He might have given it to you years and decades ago. But you have refused. So your next step of faith might be going to the last thing God asked you and saying yes, finally. That could be you today. Whatever that would be. Others of you in here, the next step in your faith is to choose to follow Jesus Christ for the first time as your Lord and Savior. To step out in that risk and say yes to Jesus. And if you want to follow Jesus and salvation, I want you to take a risk during the service. Come down and talk to me or Charlie. Pray with one of our prayer team. Let us know. But that's a big risk to take. But that would be the next step in your spiritual life, in your walk. For all of us, the application this week is this. You will be prompted at some point Feel that, that gumption, that prompting in there of the Holy Spirit. And you ask God, what would you have for this person? What would you have in this situation? What would you have for me? And you will, you will know, I should ask, risk, give generously. I should forgive. I should bless. And at that moment, you pray for boldness from the Holy Spirit. Give me boldness. Fill me. And then you step forward that one step into the risk. Just one step. Say yes to that. This week, have your, re your yes ready. Pray for boldness and take the one step in the faith that he prompts you. And Orchard, let's get fresh stories. Let's have new stories. Let's be a people of fresh stories. 
Because all of us are going out and saying yes in small ways, and God takes those small yeses and makes a movement of people. Orchard, let's be a people that say yes to God. That could change. That changes church, change a town, change a region. Who knows what it'll change? Jesus, we thank you so much that you showed us what it looks like to say yes despite all social pressure and all other things. I pray, Father, your spirit would move in truth and power right now. Give us boldness in these chairs to respond how you have us, how you would have us. If we need to come forward and receive you, I pray you give boldness there. We need prayer for forgiveness. We need prayer of blessing. Whatever. God, I pray that you would help us. And as we take communion, the, uh, the symbol of your body and your blood, we thank you for your boldness and your sacrifice. I pray you would make us a bold people filled with the Holy Spirit saying yes. In Jesus' name, amen.